Hey friends, this is Dixon Kavanaugh, and welcome to another episode of Out Loud with Dixon, where we will explore wisdom, get creative, and better appreciate this fun, chaotic, and beautiful world that we live in. First order of business, congratulations, because this is the 10th episode of Out Loud with Dixon. According to some quick googling around, most podcasts don't make it past their fifth episode. So, a quick recap of what we've covered. We've started to erect a more beautiful internal dialogue with As a Man Thinketh. We were there with Siddhartha, deep in the forest, and we witnessed his resurrection. We studied the four agreements and have started to become more impeccable with our word and not take things personally. And today, we continue down this path together, this spacious but never lonely path of personal development an emotional and intellectual adventure where we see, hear, and taste new ideas, some that we disagree with, and all that make us more compassionate and resourceful human beings. Today's reading is the second installment of Khalil Gibran's The Prophet. If you didn't hear the first installment, you can listen to that episode, Embrace the Fire. So what's today's reading about? You might be wondering at the title, Murdered by Comfort. And for some context, I love imagery and stories that help me really feel how dangerous overindulgence and comfort can be. Comfort makes us soft, and like a scalding iron to the chest, Gibran's storytelling burns deep. To be totally honest, it scares the shit out of me. And if you're really considering what he's saying, it'll scare you too. And this fear is good. We can use it as energy. It can jolt us and be used as fuel for positive change. And just to paint the picture, it involves a tall, lanky man standing over your bed with smooth, silken gloves. Have you ever seen the animation movie, Meet the Robinsons? The one with the blonde-haired kid who creates a time machine? Well, in that movie, there's a slimy, sickly villain. If you've seen the movie, you can picture him. And that's who I see in this passage. But don't worry, it's not all scary. We also hear a beautiful explanation of our human passion and our reason, our appetite and our logic. And a quick note, it feels a bit unnecessary to include this because I know everyone listening in has an open mind, is reasonable enough and well-informed enough at this point to not get turned off by just a couple of words, but, you know, there are still some people who get a bit riled up. Can you believe that? And it's this. Gibran, in his style, refers to God two times at the end of this passage. Some listeners might not like that, and heck, for good reason. But consider for a moment that Shakespeare references God quite often in his writing. Should we ignore his work too? And Zora Neale Hurston, in her breakthrough classic, Their Eyes Were Watching God, does the exact same. Heck, it's even in the title. Should we disregard her plight as an African-American woman in the early 1900s just because of this? I sincerely hope not. And as an added bonus, Gibran has many different religious influences, so what he means by God at the end of this passage is totally up to your interpretation. And with that, I hop off my soapbox and invite you to gather around, listen close, and join me as we dive into the magical world of the prophet. Then a mason came forth and said, Speak to us of houses. And he answered and said, Build of your imaginings a shady place in the wilderness before you build a house within the city walls. For even as you have homecomings in your twilight, so does the wanderer in you, the ever distant and alone. Your house is your larger body. It grows in the sun and sleeps in the stillness of the night, and it is not dreamless. Does not your house dream, and dreaming leave the city for grove or hilltop? 
Would that I could gather your houses into my hands, and like a sower, scatter them in forest and meadow. Would the valleys were your streets, and the green pass your alleys, that you might seek one another through vineyards, and come with the fragrance of the earth in your garments. But these things are not yet to be. In their fear, your forefathers gathered you too near together, and that fear shall endure a little longer. A little longer shall your city walls separate your hearth from your fields. And tell me, people of Orphalese, what have you in these homes? What is it you guard with fastened doors? Have you peace, the quiet urge that reveals your power? Have you remembrances, the glimmering arches that span the summits of your mind? Have you beauty that leads the heart from things fashioned of wood and stone to the holy mountain? Tell me, have you these in your houses, or have you only comfort, and the lust for comfort, that stealthy thing that enters the house as a guest, and then becomes a host, and then a master? Aye, it becomes a tamer, and with a hook and scourge makes puppets of your larger desires. Though its hands are silken, its heart is of iron. It lulls you to sleep, only to stand by your bed and jeer at the dignity of the flesh. It makes mock of your sound senses, and lays them in thistle like fragile vessels. Verily, the lust for comfort murders the passion of the soul, and then walks grinning in the funeral. But you, children of space, you restless and rest. You shall not be trapped nor tamed. Your house shall not be an anchor but a mast. It shall not be a glistening film that covers a wound, but an eyelid that guards the eye. You shall not fold your wings that you may pass through doors, nor bend your heads that they strike not against a ceiling, nor fear to breathe, lest walls should crack and fall down. You shall not dwell in tombs made by the dead for the living, and though of magnificence and splendor, your house shall not hold your secret nor shelter your longing. For that which is boundless in you abides in the mansion of the sky, whose door is the morning mist, and whose windows are the songs and the silence of night. And the priestess spoke again and said, Speak to us of reason and passion. And he answered, saying, Your soul is oftentimes a battlefield, upon which your reason and your judgment wage war against your passion and your appetite. Would that I could be the peacemaker in your soul, that I might turn the discord and the rivalry of your elements into oneness and melody. But how shall I, unless you yourselves be also the peacemakers, nay, the lovers of all your elements? Your reason and your passion are the rudder and the sails of your seafaring soul. If either your sails or your rudder be broken, you can but toss and drift or else be held at a standstill in mid-seas. For reason, ruling alone is a force confining, and passion unattended is a flame that burns to its own destruction. Therefore, let your soul exalt your reason to the height of passion that it may sing, and let it direct your passion with reason that your passion may live through its own daily resurrection, and like the phoenix, rise above its own ashes. I would have you consider your judgment and your appetite even as you would two loved guests in your house. Surely you would not honor one guest above the other, for he who is more mindful of one loses the love and the faith of both. Among the hills, when you sit in the cool shade of the white poplars, sharing the peace and serenity of distant fields and meadows, then let your heart say in silence, God rests in reason. 
And when the storm comes, and the mighty wind shakes the forest, and thunder and lightning proclaim the majesty of the sky, then let your heart say in awe, God moves in passion. And since you are a breath in God's sphere, and a leaf in God's forest, you too should rest in reason and move in passion. All right, and we are back. How creepy was that imagery of the man standing over our bed? I mean, it gives me the heebie-jeebies. And what about this magnificent part at the end? The reading about our reason and our passion. It's like we are caught trying to decide between our logic and our desire. And Gibran comes in with a third alternative. A third door. And that is the soul that directs and balances both. I see it like carving out the banks of the river. We don't force the flow of water to do anything. We don't control it. Yell at it to turn this way and that? Nope. We carve a path and create space for the water to flow naturally and find balance. This balance between reason and passion makes me imagine the Ents of the Lord of the Rings. The Twin Towers. You know, the huge trees that attack Saruman. In the book, they are extremely slow to plan an attack. I mean, these trees live hundreds if not thousands of years, so waiting another 10 years isn't a big deal. The reason has them cautious and slow. But when they do attack, watch out! They move with a ferociousness that any enemy, orc or otherwise, is hopeless. The reason balances their passion, and their passion moves them into action. And lastly, how beautiful is it to see our reason and passion as two loved houseguests, to see our internal elements, our emotions, and thoughts as friends and family over for dinner? honored guests in our home. It's very similar to a meditative practice known as loving kindness and mental noting. With mental noting, we notice whatever comes across our mind. Without judgment, without feelings of hatred, we just note it. And with loving kindness, we send those thoughts and feelings a feeling of love. Even if we don't like them or we don't want them in our house, we send them love anyway. Noting, breathing, loving. And on that note, loving and breathing, I sign off for today. I'm extremely grateful to be able to share these episodes with you, and I look forward to getting any feedback that you might have for me. And remember, live with presence, confidence, and love.